electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, a big warning from a famed hedge fund manager who says we're now in the midst of an enormous tech bubble. That call coming just hours, as Carl said, before Microsoft's critical earnings report. We debate all of it today with our investment committee. And joining me for the hour are Stephanie Link, Josh Brown, Pete Najarian, and Tiffany McGee, the CEO of Momentum Advisors Institutional Investment Services Group. Check the markets. It's mixed right now. The Dow is lower by 50, S&P higher by just less than five, trying to bounce back from the worst session in more than a month. Do want to get to this new letter from Greenlight's David Einhorn. Pete, I begin with you. He says the top of the market was on September 2nd, that the bubble has already popped. Quote, we're now in the midst of an enormous tech bubble. Quote, all of the signs of the bubble are there. An IPO mania, extraordinary valuations and new metrics for valuation, a huge market concentration in a single sector and a few stocks, a second tier of stocks that most people haven't heard of at S&P type market capitalizations. The more fanciful and distant the narrative, says Einhorn, it seems the better the stock performs. Is he right? Are we in the midst of an enormous tech bubble, Pete? I think that we are in the midst of uh, certain sections of tech that are definitely in a bubble, uh, a bubble right now, Scott. There's no doubt about that. I mean, we look at some of these names that have absolutely soared to the upside. We all know those names. I mean, Zoom would be obviously the poster child. But you go across the board and you look at these names and you say they, they're in the right place at the right time. But are they really fairly priced or are they a little bit in that bubble area? I think many of them are. But... Right now, Scott, it's about growth, and there has been growth, and there has been cash. And we talked to last week, we heard Rick Reeder last Friday, he was on the show, and he was talking about, you know, P.E., obviously he still looks at that, but there are other elements that you're looking at as well, and you're looking at growth, and you're looking at cash flows, and some of those types of things. So I do look at this, and I do see some names. There's no doubt about it. There are names that are up in the stratosphere. But I don't know that you could say that about all of tech. I think there are some tech names that have stretched up a little further than they had in the past. We look at a name even like tonight, we're going to be talking a lot about a name like Microsoft. We're going to talk about Apple. We're going to talk about a lot of these various names where the PE levels of these names is definitely higher than they had been in the past. But they're also in the sweet spot, so they've got growth. And if they've got enough growth, Scott, I think that makes up for the fact that maybe they're a little bit more in a higher area of a PE structure right now versus a lot of these other names where we see names that they don't even have a PE because they don't, they don't have profits yet. And those are the ones that I think do stand out for me, and those are the ones that I'd put in the category that Einhorn's referring to. All right, to. so let's talk about these. Josh, you know, Einhorn says what matters in a bubble is not so much valuation. It's almost irrelevant. It's the psychology around the whole in- environment. Pete mentioned some of the stocks that we're talking about. I'm not suggesting by bringing up any of these names that these are the ones that Einhorn is most suspect about, because frankly, I have no idea which stocks he talks about, as he says that they have adjusted our short book accordingly, including adding a fresh bubble basket 
of mostly second-tier companies and recent IPOs trading at remarkable valuations. Again, I don't know what stocks those are. I'm just going off of what Pete was suggesting. Zoom up, you know, almost 700 percent. It's not just the valuation you call out, but the psychology of saying, hey, I know why this stock is up and it's justified because we're in COVID. Who knows what it's going to be like on the other side? So who cares how fast this company is growing? Eh, It'll grow into its valuation one day. Is that valid? Is it reason to worry about where some of these stocks are? At first, I was like, oh, no, not another bubble, another tech bubble, um, because I'm old enough to remember the last few tech bubbles. And uh, I was in the audience at Iris Own when David Einhorn unveiled his first bubble basket. And it wasn't in 2016. It was in 2014. It was in April of that year. So we're talking about six and a half years ago. And Amazon was in his bubble basket. He was shorting the stock. So let's look at what happened since. Um, first of all, the whole XLK is up 250%, blowing the doors off any other uh, sector in the market by far. Second, Amazon is up about 850%, and I know that he didn't remain short at the whole time, thank God. Um, but Amazon's earnings are up 6,700%, and the trick is there weren't any earnings then. So they were earning $0 a share, and uh, earnings, obviously, on a trailing 12-month basis, have grown substantially since then. So. Um, Everything that you're saying about, just generally speaking, these second-tier, quote, second-tier technology companies, um, you could have said the same thing six and a half years ago, and in fact, he did. Now, And and, and let me stop you real quick, and you can continue in a second. He he does, in this letter, um, admit they were wrong in 2016 when they identified what they thought was the bubble. Um, I know you cite 2014, but I'll just say 2016. I I understand that. Right. He, he does admit they were okay. wrong. He looks, at the, he looks at the environment that it exists today and says not only is it a bubble, but it's an enormous tech bubble. I bring you the sure. in, rise in stocks of, of some of the ones that, that we mentioned as, as to why perhaps he's thinking that. Yeah. So investors have not been valuing stocks on trailing 12 month earnings or price book um, or any of the metrics that a lot of uh, <laughs> Uh, experts on an earlier version of the world used to care a lot about. Investors are valuing companies on how much of their total addressable market they can capture and then start earning profits from. And if you had been investing on that premise for the last six years, last eight years, um, you've you've done pretty well. Now, where I agree with um, David Einhorn, and I have always said whenever we discuss his ideas, that I think he is one of the must-read investors, and I read all of his letters. Where I agree with him is that, yeah, There are a lot of recent IPOs that are unproven but have gotten these massive multiples because what they're doing is exciting and there is a ton of sales growth. It's not completely unfounded, the enthusiasm for these companies. And here's where you're going to run into trouble as an investor. If you take these companies' word for it that they're going to own their TAM and they can't obviously all own their TAM because many of them compete with each other, um, then you're making the bet that they won't have a periodic stumble. I talked about Fastly last week being a very important situation for the market. I got laughed at by Weiss for a change, but the truth is that's exactly getting to the heart of what David Einhorn is saying. You have a company like Fastly. It's selling at 50 times sales. There is no room for a stumble. And they didn't even have a bad stumble, um, but the punishment in that stock could be a preview of what you end up seeing in electric vehicles, in solar stocks, in SPACs of every stripe, um, in semiconductor names, in 
workplace software names, work from home. You're going to see more Fastleys. I think he'll be right. We don't know what names he's talking about specifically. Right. So it's really hard for me to say I agree or I disagree. I'm just giving you the context I understand. of the bigger picture. Some of these companies will prove themselves. Maybe it's up, Steph, to all of you to point out the ones that look somewhat ridiculous. I don't know. Um, Nikola was, investors were more than happy to, to just bid up Nikola with, with nothing behind it. And then the, the bottom falls out. That sort of goes to the psychology of the environment that one finds themselves in, where you're willing to have so much exuberance about something that has delivered nothing. And then when the floor drops out, we wonder how we got there in the first place. A company like Snowflake, great company, great leader, um, Frank Slootman, et cetera, goes out at 100 times sales and it gets bid right up to the moon. Are these things we're going to look back on and say we should have seen it? And Einhorn's trying to point it out now. Better late than never. He admits it, but maybe he's right now. Possibly. I mean, I do think there's parts of the market that are in a bubble. No, no doubt about it. It's, they're really hard to actually value, too, even if you try to be creative. But then there are other parts of the market that are not. Um, I, I think of themes. I think you know that about me by, by now, right? Themes. I look at end markets, where things are growing, where they can get to. And I see plenty of themes out there and stocks that have those uh, exposures to those themes as actually kind of reasonable. So like, let's just take an example. AI and Internet of Things and 5G. Well, you could get Broadcom for 16 times forward estimates, and you could also get a nice dividend yield. You could get your retail e-commerce. I know you're going to think I'm going to say Amazon. I'm not. I'm going to say Gap Stores. 80% of their revenues in the next few years is going to be retail e-commerce, and that's a $7 trillion total addressable market by 2025. So there's exposure there. Cloud, I, I think that you, I always come back to Salesforce. It's trading on a price to sales, so you do have to be a little more creative on the valuation, but that's how the whole industry is valued, and it trades at a discount. Robotics, Medtronic, I mean, that's a technology company, if I've ever seen one. How about process automation, Emerson Electric? Industrial companies are getting more technology savvy, and so there's a lot of ways to play technology and, and markets. You do not have to bid up the Zooms and the Zscalers and those sorts well, of things. Already, you could have some exposure there. They've already right? been bid up. Right? You could have that's some part, exposure that, there. That, you don't want to have them all. That's part of the problem, right? Everything you say could be correct. The problem is all of these stocks have already <clears throat> been bid up. The, p the point is, have they been bid yeah, up to the point where the, the market, bubble has though. expanded and that the bubble is now popping or has already popped, as, as Einhorn suggests? Is a Zoom as great as it may be and as uh, relevant and reasonable as, as some of the gain may be? Is it really 700 percent? Well, even if they talk to Zoom, they think they're totally... They think their total addressable market is $44 billion in two years' time. So, I, look, I'm not involved in those names. You can make a ton of money in all those names that you listed, right? But you could also lose a ton of money, and there's no valuation support whatsoever for any of them. That's why I'm giving you the list that I'm giving you, because fundamentals matter. Balance sheets matter. If you get a yield while you're waiting a bit, it, it matters. Well, and diversification is so imp in incredibly important. They don't matter until they do, right? And that's part of the... The, hey, hey, Judge. That's, that's part of the payoff of this conversation, Tiffany. Hang on, Josh, real quick. Right, right, Tiff? I mean, you've oh. got a lot of stocks that are up so much. Mm -hmm. What do you make of what, what Einhorn is, is writing? 
Yeah, so uh, I don't believe that we're in the tech bubble. I believe that we're pushing really into a new world. So whether we like it or not, whether we believe it or not, and you know, these tech companies are teaching us all how to live, how to work, how to socialize. So I'll just kind of set the stage for you, right? So I get up in the morning, I go for a run, I use my Apple Watch to track my heart rate, I listen to iTunes, I come back, open up my laptop to start my day, I use Microsoft Teams to communicate with my team internally, uh, I take meetings with clients via Zoom. Somewhere around 2 p.m., I order groceries from Instacart from my cell phone, right? Uh, somewhere around there, I put a load in of laundry, and uh, the app on my phone tells me when I can put my clothes into the dryer in between Zoom meetings. So look, this is the world that we live in. And by the way, I'm still in Lulu, which I bought on their app, which was delivered to me by UPS or FedEx. So this is the world that we live in, right? I do not think, again, that we can continue to, to use these same metrics to evaluate these companies that we have in the past. I definitely think that, you know, that, that the technical aspect of it, we have to consider it, but we also have to consider the world that we live in. Um, and even when you know, we're kind of comparing this to like the previous tech bubble, we're in a different time, right? So these companies of today, uh, they have stronger balance sheets. I think to, to you know, Josh um, mentioned, you know, if th these companies who believe that they have um, that that their TAM is is, is greater than um, they than uh, they might uh, believe. Actually, you know, I think when it comes to names like Apple and Amazon, especially a name like Apple, they have done an amazing job in integrating into your life. Every single aspect of your life is touched um, in terms of their customers. They touch every single aspect. I know, it's I, hard to unwind from that. I, I hear you, uh, Josh. But forgive me if you know if 1999's eyeballs sounds a lot like 2020's Tam. I mean that that's the justification I, I keep hearing. It's Tam, 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 Tam. Just like back then, eyeballs, 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 eyeballs. Yeah, no, you're right. You're 100 percent right. And let, let me give you a quick example. There's a company Ring Central. RNG is the ticker. This is not like a company that was formed three years ago. Um, but it trades like it is. This, this company's from 1999, actually. And it, it was part of that bubble in, in new IPOs and companies that were just able to raise money at will in the equity market. And it actually survived, and it became uh, one of the most important providers of telecom services to businesses. And we just signed a contract with them last week for our firm. Um, they're making a huge push into small and mid-sized enterprises, which I suppose were one of those um, because in the pandemic economy, companies have real small and mid-sized companies have realized that they can save a lot of money and do a lot more um, with texting, faxes that turn into emails, answering your cell phone but from a 212 number so clients don't have your personal cell phone. This is not an option. You cannot be in business without this technology. And Ring Central is not the only company that's trying to go after this TAM. And there will be many companies that try to, and they don't succeed. So I think you have to be selective. That's an example of a company that has been around long enough. They know what works. They know how to sell. And they're crushing it. And there are probably five also RANs, some of which that haven't even come public yet, that are going to try to compete. No one's going to get that whole market. And you can make the same case with um, cybersecurity, which is now going to become as important as an electrical utility uh, in, in this environment. So you go down the list. And then you say, well... Obviously, the companies that have already come public will have an advantage versus the ones that are still on the runway because now they're already out of the gates. They've raised this capital. They can use it to build a moat. They can use it to make acquisitions. They can use it to drop prices and acquire customers more quickly. What the stock market has done this year is 
correctly identified this phenomenon. And that's why all of a sudden, after eight years of companies not wanting to go public, you see a huge rush. Everybody wants to go public because they realize the tipping point has been reached. They need to have that currency and get themselves public. And the ones that have are building a permanent advantage um, as the new incumbents. That phenomenon is real. It's fundamental. It's not totally driven by nonsense um, or eyeballs or any of that stuff. But, Scott, to your point, we will take it too far. So David Einhorn is saying that we already have. Maybe he's right. But definitely, all of these bubbles start with a kernel of truth. This one is no different. And then they always get carried away. The thing is, though, when it does deflate, the winners will be left standing. And if you own a few of them, you do very well. So it's funny that you were having this conversation, Pete. And on the bottom of our screen, it says the 10-year yield um, is down for the third straight day, which leads me to the other side of the argument, which says, where the heck else do you want me to get anything for my money? Where am I going to find growth? Where am I going to find yield? I'm not going to find it in treasuries, not with the 10-year at 70-whatever basis points today. I'm going to have to go even further and further and further out on the risk curve to try and get the return and growth I'm looking for. And that's part of the reason, however justified the, the fundamentals may say, are the Twilio's, the DocuSigns, the Zscalers, the Cloudflares, and everything else, and the reason why I'd be willing to put my money there because I have no other choice. Right. Uh, I mean, uh, that's part of what the, the strategy has been, right? I mean, because the strategy has been the, mar- the money is going into the market in different places and depending on people's risk tolerance. And sometimes people do, to your point, they are going past their normal risk tolerance and you get into some of these crazy names. But to Steph's point, there's a lot of different names out there, Scott, that have absolutely been incredibly strong names that have a back the, the, you look at the fundamental story, and it's there. And you look at where they are going in the future, and that's also there. Steph brought up like a name like Gap Stores. We had a lot of unusual option activity in there, Steph, a while back. And that stock has gone up, 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 and has been a really nice performer for a lot of the reasons that you bring up. As companies, and this is the, the haves and the have-nots, the companies that were positioned right and put themselves in a position for e-commerce are the ones who have done extremely well. Those that didn't are the ones that are definitely Pete, struggling. But, you, but there's a lot of names out there, Scott, that we could go through. Well, I'll just tell you real quick. There's so many names that you could go through that don't have that incredible multiple or at least or, or maybe don't, don't have an ultimate, uh, multiple at all on one end. But you've got others that actually traded a reasonable multiple that still have plenty of upside. Maybe not as much risk there, which is why I think there are names that you can still go to to say, hey, look, I can get a nice return on my investment from this stock and this stock and this stock without going out on that curve where I'm in ultra risk territory to Einhorn's point. Steph, look, let's talk about Microsoft, okay? It's going to report after the bell. It's trading above its historical P.E., we, we've justified, I mean, it's been a multiple expansion story. Tonight we find out whether the earnings are going to deliver to justify the multiple expansion that we've seen in this stock. It's like 37 times, or forward P.E. is 33. Trailing's like 37. It's above its historical average. We justify it by saying, well, you know, where else are you going to get growth? Einhorn points out the huge market concentration and a small number of names, this one included What do we think about Microsoft, its valuation, what it has to live up to tonight after the bell? 
I, I hold it, and I really do mean I hold it. I don't know if I would be buying it here, but they are they have exposure to where CIOs are spending. CIOs are spending in digital transformation, in cloud, in security. Um, th and that's exactly where Microsoft is. So we know PCs are going to be very strong. That's back to school. A lot of companies have shown very, very strong PC sales growth and momentum. Question is, is that sustainable? And then the second thing is obviously cloud. We talk about Azure all the time. Remember last quarter, though, we saw a deceleration from the prior quarter, it went from 59% growth to 47% growth last quarter. And everyone got nervous and the stock sold off and that kind of thing. The estimates for this quarter are 44% growth. So another deceleration. But it's the law of large numbers. They're getting very big. They're the number two player. So I expect the numbers to slow. But how much do they slow? Uh, and then, of course, the momentum at Teams. Because clearly, people are using Teams. Businesses are signing up using Teams, standardizing that kind of thing as well. So there's a lot to look for. I, I worry on the multiple. Uh, but it's certainly not, a, not, not uh, a multiple like the stocks that we were just talking about, these really high flyers. I mean, there's so much ownership of Microsoft uh, on the desk. Pete, you know, you, you've owned it from the beginning. Tiffany, you own it. Do you feel like the bar, Tiff, is, is so high tonight that, that Microsoft has to meet because of the stock performance and all the hype around these names? Yeah, so I, I, I definitely think that, you know, we're, we're all watching. But I think to Steph's point, you know, you, you really have to look at some basic information. So Microsoft does have access to, uh, to, to enterprise spend, right? So again, in this new world that we live in, um, you know, we're, we're, where we're using Microsoft Teams, where, uh, you know, so many people have, have Office, Office 360. And I'm definitely looking to, um, look, looking to see about the revenue growth um, for um, Azure you know, they're just uniquely positioned. Um, so I, I'm, I'm not, I don't think this is a situation where they have to, you know, crush earnings. Um, I'm just expecting some glimmers of hope. Um, and that's enough for me to hold the stock. I'm not necessarily a trader. I'm uh, a long-term investor. So we own Microsoft. We own it for a while. Um, and then just kind of going forward, just in general with these with these names, including Microsoft, I'm also looking for opportunities to buy, right? So like little dips, especially this week, I'm looking for opportunities to get this at a better price. Um, I don't like it at this price point. Um, I like things, I like to buy things when they're on sale. Yeah, glimmers. That's all, that's all it's gonna take for Tiffany, glimmers. Josh, glimmers. Yeah. Um, really, is that gonna be enough, just a glimmer? I mean, we, we've seen it already. Who, who's their competition though, Scott? Who's their competition really? Like, Look, who, is, who is their competition? I understand. You know? Who's their competition? Amazon. And they got a lot of competition in the cloud, They're, right? They got Amazon no, no, no. and a whole host All of together. other companies. A whole host of other they companies. They do, but I do think that they have good market share, and I, I, I do think that they're, they're, they're definitely in the game. So they do have competition, but I think that they're one of those major names that they're just really in the game. So, you know, it, it, we're, I, I'm definitely watching it. Um, and for me, you know, the major thing for me is I'm looking for opportunities to buy it um, if it dips. That's it. Josh. Um, I don't I don't own Microsoft, but I feel like in a way I do like the whole world owns this stock. It's the largest or the second largest holding in every major index ETF, um, every retirement fund, every target date fund. It's a one point six trillion dollar market cap. So whether you think you own it or not, believe me, you own it. You have exposure. Um, Microsoft is sitting right now in an extremely good place uh, in terms of various cycles for their different products. You've got uh, the launch of the Xbox this, this uh, Christmas. Obviously, it's going to be major. You can't buy an Xbox right now, uh, an older generation. Every single one of them is, is taken. They're selling used ones, five-year-old used uh, 
uh, Xboxes. You can't get the chips even if they wanted to make more. It's really the demand side there is incredible. Um, that's not a huge part of their business, though. I think cloud services, they have step-for-step -step every improvement AWS has been able to make. Microsoft has either been ahead of them or right there. That is a huge driver of the business. Um, and then Surface wasn't a total bomb, uh, which, which I was surprised at. I didn't think that they could do this as well as Apple has done this, but they're doing well on devices. Um, Teams is huge. They're going after Zoom. Um, they're not playing games. They're devouring Slack. Like they're, they're just sitting in this very, very important, interesting place. And again, the work from anywhere phenomenon, mm -hmm. I'm not saying it's, it's created new customers, but I will say it's probably pulled forward demand and adoption by somewhere between one and three years, depending on which service we're talking about. And once people adopt these services um, and start using these products, just because the, the, we get a vaccine, they don't stop. This is forever. So Microsoft has captured new business that they will probably keep forever, which, which, which is, is why you get an expanded multiple. And which is why the stock is up 34.5% year to date. We'll see what happens after the bell, and then we'll look ahead to a whole bunch of other huge tech names later in the week, <clears throat> excuse me, which matter uh, if uh, as much, if not more than those. Let's bring in another market voice to the conversation right now. Chris Heisey is the chief investment officer at Merrill and Bank of America Private Banks. Good to see you. I hope you're well. Doing well, Scott. Same so, to you. I, I hope you've heard the substance of our conversation thus far. Is David Einhorn right? Do we have an enormous tech bubble that we need to worry about? Well, I, I agree with the entire debate. Uh, the beauty and the essence of investing is the fact that you do have these debates. And, you know, between Josh and Tiffany and Steph and, and Pete and, and, and even you, Scott, you've mentioned it squarely, really, at the top of the segment, which is there's always bubbles. There's bubbles throughout history. And there's bubbles throughout different cycles. I think the key is to not, as Steph said, I believe, you know, not having too much exposure to those promise areas. And those promise areas are now looking towards what Josh said, which is the total addressable market. And some of them will likely be the largest market share within that. And those are the areas that build themselves and profits into their revenues. And we've seen it time and time again. But there's one thing, there's one thing that I point to when you start talking about bubbles. We think we're in the bubble of investor nervousness. That's the biggest bubble. And when you think about the digital economy, it's only 9% of GDP in the U.S. right now. 9% of GDP is, is the digital economy. So from a bubble standpoint, there's a ways to go before you untap the, the entire opportunity set there. And last but not least, when you have this amount of stimulus out there, particularly liquidity, and the supply of equity is dropping every quarter, while the supply of bonds in the next 10 years is going to go up, the rotation from traditional fixed income areas into equity is likely to be much bigger than what people are talking about. But don't, don't you think, in, in some respects, Chris, the, the benefit of the, re, the why, why the market is where it is in the first place off of the, the bottom from, from March, it's stimulus and the Fed. Um, don't you think that's fueled? Can't you make the argument that that has fueled a tremendous bubble and for that matter COVID itself COVID has pushed a lot of people into the names that I mentioned off the top of the show 
The Fed has pushed people back into the stock market. Stimulus has pushed people back into the market. They've been in concentrated areas, as Einhorn has said, in these mega cap growth names and some of the, you know, if we want to call it second tier uh, tech names with, you know, massive growth potential, but also massive valuation. Hasn't it all worked in, in concert to put us where we are? Well, a lot of people suggest that that's the number one reason. I would step back and say that the Federal Reserve's job through these entire cycles, even going back to late 07, in some would argue late 05, has been to allow liquidity to be the great stabilizer. It doesn't necessarily mean that that is always supportive of rising asset prices, but to stabilize capital markets, create that confidence. In some cases, as you said, you know, as rates become uncompetitive, that is supposed to force money out the risk spectrum and towards something called equity. Now, we've seen time and time again when the Federal Reserve has tightened either in words or in action. Uh, most recently in the fourth quarter of 2008, when they pulled that lever away and then the markets get very, very nervous, you start to see a pretty sizable sell-off. So, yes, there is the argument out there that excessive liquidity is a major driver. But it's not the only driver, because if you don't have profits, if you don't have that denominator rising and you don't have corporate operating leverage and the pandemic and this particular terrible situation with the virus, as you have said, is accelerating these growth themes that probably would have happened five years out. But now they are becoming the norm. And that's what Josh said before. An accelerating theme builds itself up. Liquidity helps it. It bridges it to its to its later part of the cycle. It takes away market share it would have gotten years from now, brings it forward, and that's why you see this enthusiasm. Yeah, that's why we, we talk about things like TAM, total addressable market, and wonder whether the justification of it has gotten a little overboard. The, the bottom line of your, your message today is um, you don't think we're, we're overvalued. In fact, you think that the weakness that we've seen is a tremendous buying opportunity, and then any more would be the same. Yes, and, and here's the big caveat, Scott. You have to think past one year. I know that's difficult. Day-to-day, uh, -day, week week-to-week is, is an investor so-called time frame more and more nowadays than ever before because of, uh, obviously, headline risk day-to-day. Uh, -day. However, if you think out past a year and you think about almost 50% of U.S. GDP is a combined basis of fiscal and monetary liquidity, not to mention around the world, close to 40%. You're talking about two and a half times greater than the global financial crisis. That's point number one. And point number two, when the market and capital markets and nervousness because of day-to-day -day headlines or high-frequency economics gives you an invitation to rebalance your portfolio for the benefit of that the stimulus and liquidity on a prospective basis where the profit cycle ends up rising into these higher multiples than we're used to and rates could potentially back up. That's a big invitation to re-risk during week periods like over the next couple of weeks. Do the market care about the election at all? Of course, of course. Uh, most, of, most of the market is all focused on that and, and clearly focused on post-pandemic timeframe. And I would say this, in terms of the election, um, there's one convergence point here, which everyone has already talked about, which is higher spending. And if you get higher spending, you get a higher deficit. And that leads me to my last point, which is inflation may not come back like we or some of us remember, um, either growing up or early in the business in the 1990s. 
where inflation was a lot higher. But the Fed is now targeting inflation. And if inflation comes back cyclically, that widens out the curve that raises the back end of fixed income. And you could potentially see a period where fixed income has a negative return handle on it. And that we haven't seen. So from my perspective, it's important to be diversified. Use these weak periods as an invitation to re-risk in the major themes that have long-term standing power and not just story-based um, promise areas. I ask you that about the election, what sounds like a ridiculous question of whether the market cares about it or not, because now daily you're getting notes from different firms on the street saying that, you know, if if Biden wins or it's a blue wave, you know, the market's going up. Whereas before, if that was a thought, um, it, it sounds like it would be completely different several months ago, the way that question would be answered. Chris, I appreciate it so much. It's good to see you. Stay well, and we'll talk to you soon. That's Chris Heisey joining us today. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, a lot of moves from our desk today. Stephanie Link checks into a hotel stock. You'll find out she trims a Dow stock, too. you got to hear about that one. Cut 50% of her holding there. Pete's always making a lot of moves. Tiffany's got a lot on the plate as well. We'll do it next. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Sue Herrera. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. A federal judge has ruled against President Trump's request that the Justice Department defend him in a defamation lawsuit. Columnist E. Jean Carroll alleges Trump raped her. The president says she lied about the incident to sell her memoir. New York's public university system says its 140,000 students must test negative for COVID-19 before they are allowed to go home for Thanksgiving. The head of the system says the schools have until November 5th to come up with a plan. European Union officials reportedly warning there won't be enough COVID-19 vaccines for all EU residents until 2022. Reuters reports the comments came during a closed-door meeting. And in Italy, storekeepers are cleaning up after protests against pandemic restrictions turned violent. It was one of several demonstrations across the country. You are up to date. That's the news update, Scott. Back to you. All right, Sue. Appreciate it. Sue Herrera, thank you. Traders are making a lot of moves, as I said. All right, Steph, let's go through it. Uh, you bought Marriott. Tell me. So I'm trying to buy, buy low, sell high. Uh, Marriott, I, uh, it's, it's down 37%. Nobody likes the stock. It's a reopened stock for sure. Um, their business is not great, but I think incrementally it is getting better. It's the best-in-class management team, best-in-class asset base. And they bought Starwood a couple of years ago, and I think they're going to see substantial synergies from that when we come out of COVID. So this is a small position to start because I think it's going to take time to work over time. However, if you start to see incremental data points that get better, I think the stock can work. So I like this. It's a small position I'll be adding on any weakness. Home Depot, I sold because it's up 27%, made some nice money there. And I think earnings are, are kind of on the peaking side, if you will. That, that's maybe the biggest surprise to me is that you're selling Home Depot. 
I, I know you, you've liked it for a long time. I mean, housing's red hot. Yeah, tell me. I'm just surprised to hear you, you say that you sold it. Well, I think, I mean, look, housing is still on fire. Even new home sales yesterday up 32% year over year. But I think we've seen the really easy money that has been made. I expect housing to stay strong. I own DR Horton, a lot bigger of a position. It's much cheaper stock. I think that Home Depot is certainly well-owned, well-liked. And you know me, I try to be a contrarian. Yeah, no, absolutely. All right, Tiffany, you sold Advanced Auto Parts. Yeah, um, actually, uh, that was a client directed, so um, wasn't my favorite <laughs> anyway. Um, I did, um, and so one of the things that we like again, you know, we we also bought more Apple, more Amazon, um, some of these names that we really like. Kind of heading into election, we're seeing the dips. Um, I, again, I love to buy everything that's like when it's on sale. Uh, so we bought some last week, and then of course we're also seeing that with uh, performance uh, of of the broad market um, yesterday. And so we're just looking for these opportunities to buy more of what we love. Um, so yeah, that's it. Looking for a high five from Pete, obviously, with your buying more Target, right, Pete? Uh, <laughs> yes. Nice, oh, yes, yeah. absolutely. I bought more Target, yeah. yeah. Inovio well Pharma. Yeah. <laughs> Tiff, in Inovio Pharma, I-N-O is the ticker. We, we don't ever talk about it, but tell us about it. Yeah, yeah. So we definitely bought um, a little bit more of that. Again, the, we've we've owned that for quite some time, um, and, and and all of our buys in the past uh, like five to six days have really been kind of adding to our position. We like pharma. Um, we also like uh, two two names that, that I've um, that I've also talked about, uh, Teladoc and OnTrack. We like as well, um, and uh, I believe we bought some this morning. Um, so yeah, we we do like pharma. Um, we really do like, you know, I've said this before, we invest in innovation and strong management, and that's what we see um, in, uh, in OVO and also right. um, in, in these uh, Pete, um, Pete, uh, telehealth stocks. I'm sorry, Tiff. Uh, Pete, you bought Cleveland Cliffs, okay. uh, yeah. Farmer Jim name, yeah. uh, obviously been, been uh, yep. listening to Jim. Vista Outdoor, VS yeah. Victor, Sam, Tom, only VSTO is the ticker for all of you playing wherever yep. you're playing. Uh, tell us about those, Pete. <laughs> well, Vista Outdoors is one that I used as a final trade last Friday with you guys as well, Scott. We've had some un unusual options in there as well, but this is a stock that it makes sense right now, right? Because this is hunting. This is decoys. It's all the accessories. It's ammunition. It's firearms. All that kind of thing out there in the outdoors. So this is a name that, by, by the way, I don't know if people fully understand, but ammunition is a very difficult commodity right now to get a hold of. And because of that, that I think a lot of these various names are definitely moving to the upside, Vistas being one of those. And I see this going to be, the demand is there. I think when you look at Cliffs, I have a lot of different material names right now, Scott. I think that's a place to be. They've had a nice run to the upside. Yesterday they got hammered pretty good. And I think there's still plenty of room to the upside across the board, whether it's steel, iron, ore, or a name like Freeport McMoran, where you're talking about copper. Copper's still right around that $3 level or above. So that's been a pretty nice one as well. Hog is the one that really stands out for me because this is a quarter that they finally delivered. They got a new, new CEO running the show now. They seem to be moving things the right direction. We had some call buying in there even today following earnings, and the stock has continued to move to the upside. So for a lot of reasons, I think that each, and each one of these individual names definitely have upside in the near future. Yeah, well, it's a huge day for Harley. All right, Pete, thank you. Coming up, Pete's not done. He's got unusual activity. We'll do that next.
Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, welcome back. Pete, let's do unusual. What do you got? I'm going to give you Cisco first, Scott. Now, not everybody's reporting this week in the tech world. Cisco's actually November 12th. But with the stock trading about 37.5, they're coming after the November 38s. About 15,000 of those were bought, Scott, for an average price, call it about $1.40, something like that. So this does include earnings, of course. So this is going to be an interesting one. I like this one. I bought these calls. I'll be in it, obviously, through earnings. I got a second one for you. IQ. Now, this one expires on Friday, but pretty aggressive buying in here as well. They bought just last week as well. So that was pretty interesting. They were buying the, 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 the October 24s. Today, they're buying the October 23 and a halfs, trading for about 50 cents right now. Stock was trading just underneath or just above 23. So it doesn't have to move very far, but this is going to have to happen this week. I own these calls as well. All right. Good stuff. Short time. All right, Pete. Thank you. Yep. Coming up, bullish call on a transportation stock that's up 45 percent in a year. We're going to talk about that. We'll do it next. We're back. UPS upgraded today to buy UBS. Price target, new street high, $214. Our call of the day. Steph, you own it. Tiff, you own it. Pete, you own it. Josh, you don't, so I want to hear from you. What do you think about UPS? <laughs> I, I don't own it, but I, I kind of like it. I like the fundamentals better than the technicals, if that makes sense. Let's, let's, let's zoom in a little bit to the chart here. Um, you can see that the last couple of days were not kind to UBS, uh, UPS. Um, but they weren't kind to many stocks. So the important thing then is where did the buyers come in? Well, the buyers in UPS came in exactly where they should have. 165 is that rising 50-day moving average. Um, that, that's really been in, in a bull market since the summer. The buyers came in like on a dime, almost perfectly. And now you see the stock getting a little bit of a bounce off that level today. So you want to see uptrending stocks respect their uptrends, even in volatile markets. UPS has been able to do that. The negative here is momentum is rolling over. So let's take a look at RSI 14. Um, what you can see is uh, we're really here in the, in, the, in the mid 40s, which is a little bit of no man's land. 
And when that happens, it tells you that the enthusiasm of the buyers who have been taking it up this whole time is starting to wane. So that's the thing that I would watch here. Um, but from an investment perspective, fundamentally, I really like it. So if you're able to get past whatever might happen the next month or two and just own it, I would just own it. All right, good stuff. Thanks for that. Uh, by the way, the CEO is going to be with Jim Cramer. That's tomorrow night on Mad Money, 6 o'clock Eastern Time. It's a CNBC exclusive interview. More trades ahead. And before the break, take a look at some of the stocks hitting new highs today. Danaher Cummins and Thermo Fisher. It's time for the Futures Outlook. Been a volatile day for stocks. S&P fighting to stay in the green, as you know. That's following yesterday's big sell-off. For more on how futures traders are navigating those moves, let's bring in Jeff Kilberg of KKM Financial, Bill Baruch of Blue Line Futures. Guys, good to see you. Jeff, you first. Tom Lee says that we're oversold. Chris Heisey says to buy the dip. Fundamentally, what are you watching on the S&P? Well, fundamentally, it's interesting. We're in the heart of earnings season, Judge. We're seeing 180 companies report this week, and certainly we're focused. You guys have been talking all this time about the giant tech. So today we're looking at Microsoft. Thursday, we're talking about all four of the names, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, and Google, all report in the afternoon. And that's driving the market. You look at the S&P 500, 25% of the S&P 500 are those names. So I think we have to get past, we're in an election days this week, but once we get past this election, I think we go back to talking about stimulus. It's not if, it's not when, it's what and how big will that stimulus be. And that's going to drive the S&P 500 futures higher for the rest of the year. All right, what about technically, Bill? Despite all the fundamental headlines, tailwinds, hurdles, whatever you want to call it, the market remains very technical. Yesterday's big support level, 3405, 3410. Market broke down below there. That is now resistance. There's good, strong support at 3353. It held yesterday. But the longer we remain below 3405 in the near term, paves a path down to 3330. I'm bullish longer term, but I expect volatility to continue. And if you're trading, you've got to plan for that. Guys, good stuff. Jeff, Bill, thank you. We'll see you soon. We'll take a break. Come back. We'll do final trades next. Welcome back. We'll do final trades in a minute. First, Steph, um, you're all over earnings today. You own Caterpillar. You own Stanley. You own Raytheon. Talk to me. The biggest standout for you today was what? Caterpillar, not that the sales fell because we expected sales to fall. It's miserable out there, right? But prices are stabilizing. In dealer inventories have fallen. And that's a sign that, there's, that, that we could be at the end of the destocking cycle and that there is better demand picking up. Operating margins better than expected as well. They're doing everything they can to control what they can control. When sales come back, and they will, the stock will see a massive operating leverage ahead. What about Stanley? Well, Stanley is my final trade, so we're going to do final trade. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to do ahead. final trade. Yeah, trades. for sure. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, so, yeah. Okay. It's all good. <laughs> well, I, I, I mean, I'm, I, I mean, I wanted it as my final trade because it's down, and I thought that the quarter was fine. Organic growth in tools and storage, 11 percent. It was a little less than people thought, but that's because of timing of some shipments into the fourth quarter from the third quarter. It's all noise. Operating margins up 320 basis points. Free cash flow very, very strong. So I'm buying the weakness today. Okay. Got to be a little bit brief, Tiff. What do you got for me? Um, Mercado Libre. So um, I've learned not to predict the outcome of presidential elections, uh, but a blue wave does look to uh, be good for emerging markets, especially Latin America. Um, Mercado Libre is um, is a e-commerce uh, play right, primarily right, right. in Latin America, and okay. I love that. So, right. yep, up 123% for the good year. Good stuff. Good having you here today, too. Pete, what's the name for me? Thanks. I'm going to give you Apple. They're buying calls, Scott. All right. And Josh, how about you? 
CrowdStrike, probably a bubble, but I'm buying it. <laughs> All right, guys, good stuff. Really enjoyed the conversation today. The exchanges now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. Picture this. You're on a John Deere compact tractor, enjoying the sun as you clear brush across your pasture. You just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you.